I believe that the Lord is ordering our steps, and we're not wasting our time, and we're not wasting our effort or life, but God is ordering our steps, amen? amen, directing our paths, and that this will be time well spent, not just because I'm here, but because the Lord's here, amen, amen. and He's talking to us. You know, when I, even though I'm speaking, I expect to get ministered to. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a lot of times I'm teaching or preaching and uh, I learn things while I'm talking. I like it like that. You know, when you're really doing good, you preach beyond yourself. You know what I'm talking about? You, you might not if you're not a minister, but you do. You just, you know, you, you stop and go, wow, that's good. Let me write that down. <laughs> and you have a greater awareness that it's not just you, but that the the Lord does anoint us, doesn't he? And he helps us, speaks through our ministry gifts and to us personally. Well, I think we'll just get right into the Word. 1 Samuel 2, if you would. And then also go to Luke 4. 1 Samuel 2 and Luke 4. This morning we began talking about this subject, and we read and took some time to read some scripture in this second chapter about how Hannah bore Samuel, how he went to live with Eli and his sons, and about how the Bible said the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, sons of the devil. You know, isn't it interesting that faith in God is not genetically passed down? And even more interesting that you can be in the presence of faith and the presence of those that know and honor God and yet come away destitute of it. These boys grew up around a man and probably men of God, women of God. They grew up around the presence of God and they came to take it all for granted. They came to disdain it and not respect it. You know, you can get used to anything. <laughs> you know, what if you saw the glory of God shining in the top of the building tonight? <laughs> or a pillar of fire come stand in the middle of the air and just burn? Do you know you can get used to that? The Israelites did. There was the cloud there all the time. And the pillar of fire there every night. And after a while, they got used to it. Bread fell out of the air every morning. And after a while, it just became, you know, normal, commonplace, until they got to the point where they despised it. And they started griping about the manna. Manna, manna. Manna in the morning, manna in the afternoon, manna for supper. I'm sick and tired of manna. Manna, manna, manna not realizing that if it hadn't had the manna, they'd have starved to death. Becoming ungrateful, unthankful, and not honoring what God was doing, becoming hardened and calloused and insensitive to the supernatural. That's what these boys did. I believe that we are in an era of a great increase of the supernatural. Don't you? All of the indications say so. The men and women of God have prophesied so. 
The prophets of long ago have prophesied so. Everything is, has been in the works for it. Like Brother, Brother Wigglesworth talked about long ago about the move of the Spirit and the move of the Word coming together. And we've certainly had a move of the Word and now we're seeing it, the rekindling of a great move of the Spirit. And we are living in the time of the spectacular supernatural. We're going to see more and more amazing things. You believe it, don't you? I mean, I'm convinced of it. Well, I mean, we've seen some things, and thank God for them. But we're going to see signs and wonders. We're going to see things that will make you stop and wonder. We're going to see things that will arrest the attention of the heathen. You know, it would be an easy thing for God to put some kind of burning ball out over the property out here. Very easy for Him. People would drive from all over to see it. Things like that have happened. And they are happening. Signs in the heaven above. Wonders. Amen on the earth. All manner of signs and things. But I believe there is some preparation that we as the church need to have and make for this era in this time. And there can be some negative consequences if we don't. And I want to talk to you about that as the Lord would enable us. And I want you to hear with an open heart. And uh, like I ministered at one place one time, and it was a, a denomination, and... Uh, a lot of elders were there of that denomination. It was not in our group and circle at all. It's amazing some of the places the Lord let me preach. Sometimes I just stop and wonder, what, what am I doing here? How did I get here? I've had people invite me and then didn't know why they invited me themselves. I had one Presbyterian pastor up in New England invited me to their church. And then after he invited me, he called me back. And he said... Uh, what are you going to do when you get here? <laughs> and I said, well, I'll, I'll do my best, not, you know, not to purposely do anything to hurt you or go against you. He said, what are you going to preach? And I said, well, I don't know exactly right now. It was months before I got there. I'm thinking about today. He didn't know it, but on that day I had four, four times to speak. Now, I started to say, man, I'm not even thinking about you today, all right? But I just tried to be nice. I said, well... Uh, and he, you know, but he, you could tell there's fear in his voice. He's thinking, what did I do? <laughs> but anyway, we tried to calm him down and wound up going there, and it was amazing. He was not, they were not charismatic uh, at all. <laughs> and yet we had people filled with the Holy Ghost. We had people healed. And he, he got a lot of things, and... It was, it was wonderful, but I'm just saying, you know, how'd you get there? How'd you get there? We was in this particular domination I was talking about, this, this elders, and I, I preached. And sometimes you don't know, because I have gone into places before and just went crosswise with them. You know, didn't know. Sometimes it's so wonderful not to know. <laughs> you know? I mean, they had been having this seminar for uh, I don't know how long on this unscriptural stuff. I mean, unbiblical. And they had camped it and rode it hard for a week. 
I come in the very, very first sermon, and I just preach totally against it. I knew it was quiet in there. I knew it Man, not an amen. People kind of looking at you like... But I didn't know. But thank God they, they, we gave them some word on it, so they came back around to it. Anyway, this man stood up, this elder, a, after I got through speaking, I didn't know exactly how they liked it. and He got up and he said, well, the young man has brought the message. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and he said, let me just say this, eat the whole roll. Just eat the whole roll. And apparently that was good confirmation because everybody said, praise God. Yes, amen. He said, he sat down. <laughs> so I'd say that about this tonight, you know, but before you decide, eat the whole roll, check the whole thing out, and then, uh, then make your, come to your own conclusions. I said, I believe we need some preparation for this time that we're in and coming into. We want to see the great power of God in demonstration, don't we? We do. We need to be hungry for it. We need to be desirous, but we also need to have some concept of who we're dealing with, who He is, and what He is. In these Holy Ghost meetings with Brother Hagin, uh, he has said repeatedly that if we want to see the greater move of the Spirit, we need to learn to reverence Him. And that's what we're talking about. Reverencing and respecting, esteeming, honoring God. And many people have not learned these things in their childhood, in their families, in their schools, and you have adults that are actually very ignorant of the true concepts of godly honor. And so that's what we're going to be camping on, as far as I know, for the, all of these sessions, as the Lord leads us otherwise. In 1 Samuel, the second chapter, the Lord said this in verse 30, 1 Samuel 2.30, the latter part, the Lord said, Them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Them that honor me, the Lord said, I will honor. But those that despise me, they'll be lightly esteemed. Now another way of saying that, you know, if you reverence me, honor me, I'm going to treat you with honor and dignity. If you treat me lightly, I'm going to treat you lightly. God renders to every man according to his works. And the law of sowing and reaping is universal. To honor means to value. It means to prize, to esteem. We said it literally means weighty. Weighty. You're treating something like it is substantial, like it is valuable. By contrast, to despise like we've already said, means to make light of, to treat something as though it's insignificant, to have little regard for it, to just set it aside, to make it as nothing. And a lot of times people wind up despising something of God 
And they're thinking, well, I'm, I wouldn't despise it because in their mind, despise means to hate and just to strongly be disgusted with. But according to the Word, just failing to recognize the value of something is despising. Now, don't just take my word for it. Study this out and see for yourself what we're talking about. But despising has a much broader meaning. I, I learned this as I began to study this some years ago much broader than what we might think in our modern vernacular. If you fail to honor something, then in biblical language, you're despising it. Even if you just passed by it and thought, well, you know, what's the big deal? That is despising. When it's something that God says is valuable. Well, then we need to be learning what God says is valuable. Amen? So that any time that we see any of His things, that we immediately you know, recognize it and treat it like it should be treated. The Lord said, if you honor me, I will honor you. Do you think it's a good thing if the Lord honors you? Yeah. Hallelujah. It's obvious. All you have to do is drive out here and look from the road, or like we did a couple of days ago, fly in in our little blessed bonanza, and just look across the property. God has honored this ministry. Hasn't he? Obvious. It's obvious to all who would look and see. He has honored this ministry. And how do, why do we know that he's honored this ministry? It's not a trick question. <laughs> What's the verse say? Why has he honored this ministry? This ministry has honored God. Obviously. Just look at the fruit. Well, we, you know, it's a good thing to be honored of God. That means to be blessed, to be promoted, to be increased. Amen. To be added to. Well, we want to go further, don't we? Well, we must learn then more about how to honor Him so that He will be allowed more to honor us. Go with me, if you would, to Luke, the fourth chapter. Are you believing God with me at all? Because, man, I, you know, I got plenty of notes here. But uh, I got, you got plenty of time, okay. Uh, but, you know, certain things would be appropriate and others wouldn't be the best. But I want to just focus on honoring the anointing. Honoring the anointing. In Luke 4, you see a failure to do this. And we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to go back and just look at a number of places where people failed to honor the anointing and the repercussions, the consequences. Because I believe God's going to increase the anointing on us. Amen? Amen. We need to know, I mean, the more He does to whom much is given, what? Much is required. And we talked this morning about the Lord is very concerned with stewardship and, you know, to him that hath shall more be given. The one that esteems and appreciates the things of God, that's the one God gives more to. And the moment we get to the place where we're not esteeming, that's where it begins to stop. And so when God really begins to do more for us, we need to be able to reach out and esteem higher and honor greater than we ever have before. Right? God does more. We need to honor more. 
In this passage in Luke, the Bible said Jesus came out of this wilderness temptation, but the devil threw everything he had at him and was unsuccessful. How many knows the devil's not all he cracks himself up to be? He wants to let you know, try to make you believe he's the baddest thing that ever existed. But I tell you, he's a defeated foe. And if we'd just stand on the word like Jesus said and just keep saying it's written, it's written, it's written, and not back off of it and not quit, the devil just ain't big enough. It must have been probably eight years ago, the devil harassed me, I don't know, over a period of about a year. This might sound bizarre to you, but it actually happened. Thoughts he would bring to me constantly, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I mean, how many know he's persistent? A real pain. I mean, just constantly, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Well, he is a killer. I'm going to kill you. I mean, he just, if that came to me, it came to just the oddest times. I'd be just doing fine. And out of the blue, wham, I'm going to kill you. You're not going to make it long. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you out. Finally, the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He spoke up in me one day. He said, why don't you ask him why he hasn't already done it? <laughs> I thought, yeah. That's an excellent idea. Yeah, Mr. Duff, why hadn't you already done it? Huh? Why? So you never get anywhere in, in victory over the enemy by backing down and cowering down. I mean, you've got to stand up. I mean, look him in the eye. Call his bluff. You know what I'm talking about? Just call him on it. Call him on it. You're going to kill me. Yeah, I'm going to kill you. Why hadn't you already done it? Huh? I mean, why didn't you kill me in my mother's womb? Why didn't you kill me when I was two years old? Why didn't you kill me when I was 10? When I was 15? When I was 23? Why? Why? Just because you like me and you just want to let me live a little while? I don't think so. I think you tried to kill me in my mother's womb. I think you tried to kill me when I was two and I was five and I was eight and I was 20. And I think you, if you could have, you'd have done it a long time ago. But you hadn't done it because you can't do it. You just ain't big enough. You ain't bad enough. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I mean, just slap him with the word. Tell him to go try to scare somebody else because it ain't working with you. <laughs> Jesus came out victorious over all these temptations in the power of the Spirit. There's a whole sermon right there. Do you know you have to pass some tests? Jesus passed this test in the wilderness and he came out in the power of the Spirit. Well, I better not get into that. I'll be teaching for an hour. Verse uh, 16, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. 
gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, Verily I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Well, if you read the uh, other accounts like Matthew and Mark, he said this, he said, No prophet is without honor. Remember that? No prophet's without honor, except in, among his own kin and in his own house. And he said, But I tell you of a truth, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famines throughout all the land. To none of them was Elias sent save or except to Sarepta, a city of Zidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet and none of them was cleansed saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath. And you know the story, they tried to throw him off of the cliff and kill him. But he supernaturally just passed through their midst and went on. Now, I read all this to say we see the classic example of people not honoring the anointing. Mark tells us in the sixth chapter that he could there do no mighty work. So he laid his hands upon a few, or upon a few sick folk and healed them. And why was it? Because in other places, great miracles happened. Everyone that touched him was healed. All manner of signs and wonders were accomplished. Why? Because here, they did not esteem him. They did not respect him in his own hometown. And here we see a problem with familiarity and failing to honor. It's so easy with people that you know and people that you're around a lot to become, you know, well, I mean, just, you fail to recognize who they are, what they are. It's easy to look at people on the platform that you don't know and that you're never around. You never see them after the flesh. You don't know, don't know about the mistakes they made in their life. You just see them used of God and go, oh, isn't that wonderful? Man of God, a woman of God. But I assure you, they're human. Everybody comes from somewhere. And they've made mistakes. And it's amazing how sometimes people will sit and, and be in awe of some man or woman of God on a platform, and yet they've got somebody sitting right beside them that might have a similar call or similar gift. It might not be developed maybe to the degree, or then again it might be. But how many understand that Jesus did not do a lot of things to cause them to disrespect him? Right? It wasn't that they saw him use a bunch of foul language or cheat on this or do that. They had no reason to disrespect him or think little of him. He, was, he walked righteously and lived righteously. And yet the thing that they had difficulty with is him standing up and saying that something in the Word applied to him and the anointing is here now and you can be set free and you can be ministered now basically saying, through the agency of me, 
And they sat back and they thought, well, now, who are you? You must think you're really somebody now. The problem was, they should have been thinking he was somebody. Right? And we live in a society, the devil has worked on humanity generation after generation after generation until he has diminished the value of humans in the eyes of each other. Until you've got people in parts of the world that will take a pistol and blow a man's head off for $5. Now that is as ignorant as you can be about the value system of God. You don't see value. We, our whole society needs elevation in seeing each other and in seeing God. I mean, we need to see each other as children of God. Jesus is the King of kings. We ought to all realize that we are kingdom royalty. Amen? Amen. Every man ought to be, you know, the, the king and his wife, the queen, and the sons and daughters, the princes and princesses. Everybody. Yeah, but you don't know where I came from. I came from this or I came from... That doesn't make any difference. You're now in the family of God. And you better get used to this royalty thing. Because right now you and I are in faith school. That's what earth is all about. Getting groomed, getting trained, and we're going to rule and reign with Him as kings. We need to, you know, not let ourselves, you know, everything's common. Every, you know, everybody's just, well, they're just human just like me. Well, see, you're not esteeming yourself very highly, and you're not esteeming them very highly. I don't know if I'm saying this clearly or not, but do you understand just a glimpse of what I'm talking about? They sat there and they looked at him and they thought, well, I'm, that's Jesus. I mean, uh, I know his brothers and sisters. I know him. My mama used to change his diaper. My brother works with his brother down at the factory. And so and so on. You know, well, who, who's he saying he's, he's anointed? Well, what kind of people does God use? What kind of people? People just like you. I said, people just like you. People just like me. The devil, he he's, you know, hates God's creation in man and woman. He hates us. One, one reason he hates us is because of the place God has given us. We are not angels. We are above angels. We are the sons of God. Now that hasn't really dawned on us yet. But it's going to very soon. The beings under the earth, the angels in heaven, they're in a different place from us. And the devil has so hated us that he, he starts lying to people from the time that they're just little children telling them they're no good. You're dumb. You're ugly. You're this. You're that. Oh, you're just a this. And, and wanting them to see themselves as base and unimportant and insignificant. And when you begin to get a glimpse of who you are and what you are in God, and you begin to live like that, it'll make other folk that don't have the revelation aggravated with you. Because the devil has destroyed their sense of value and worth in the eyes of God, 
And so if they're not valuable, they don't want you to be valuable either. But instead of trying to run you down, they need to come on up. We're all valuable. We're all important. We're, We're something. God has made us so. Can you say amen? You get a hold of it. We're going to be talking about this. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but we, you know, you get a hold of this, you'll think differently. You'll carry yourself differently. Your faith will bound up. Why would God hear my prayer? Because I'm His son. I'm in His family. Why would the devil listen to me? Because I have authority. I'm a son of God. He knows he better not buck the name of Jesus. But that's if I know who I am and what I am. Not a matter of pompous pride, a matter of honor, which means value. If you don't value yourself, you're going to have a major problem valuing other people. That gets into the heart of the matter. The Lord said we are to love one another how? What if you don't love yourself? Then your neighbor's in trouble. Right? Do you like you? How important, how valuable are you? Huh? Fifty bucks? Thousand dollars? How much are you worth? Well, the week's over, I'm going to tell you. I may just count and take, a, take you know, an hour and tell you how much you worth. Because we need to hear it. I said we need to know it. But how valuable, tonight we're talking, how valuable is the anointing? Without the anointing, I'd go sit down right now and just go home. Without the anointing, there'd be no need you coming to church either. Right? Without the anointing, prayer is just religious ritual. Without the anointing, preaching and teaching is just talking. Empty rhetoric and empty phraseology. Without the anointing, praise is just religion. Going through the motion. Oh, but with the anointing. There's life. There's quickening. Do you want more of it? Then we've got to reverence it. I don't mean we get depressed. You see, people don't understand reverence. You think, well, if you reverence something, then you hang your head and go, Oh, it's holy. It's holy. Don't move. You can be joyous and show honor. You can be joyous and still show honor and show reverence and respect. Go with me, if you would, back in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you some instances of people that didn't know what to do with the anointing. In Leviticus, if you would, to begin with, the 10th chapter. The anointing is somewhat mysterious because the anointing is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost and you just never are going to know everything about the Holy Ghost. I've actually, I've had anointings come on me before that I didn't know what to do with it. I had an unusual experience back in about 85. I really got close to the Lord and fellowshipping with Him and I, I enjoyed fellowshipping with him so much. Sometimes I'd just pray all night 
and just didn't even, wouldn't even notice it. And just, he was surreal to me and got to talking to me about some things. And I asked him about some things. And he let me experience some things that I just, it's hard for me to describe. But I, you may think this is funny, but it scared me. I know that might sound strange, but an anointing came on me and it seemed like I was almost displaced from my body. It was like I was watching me. And I was scared. It was like I, I don't know if I should even be talking about this, but it was, it, it was like I was almost slipping away from the natural. And you might think, well, that's great. I want to experience that. No, no, I don't know that you do. Three days I was like that, and it was almost incapacitating. And yet the anointing was so strong on me, this one person came up to talk to me about it, and they reached up and touched my shoulder and just fell out on the floor. We were not in a meeting. We were totally shocked. And you just see things and know things about people, and you just, just in a split second, just no realms of stuff. How many know the anointing is amazing? Sometimes we just think about the anointing in the essence of power to heal or power to work miracles, but it is the anointing that conveys to us the knowledge of God. You have an anointing within you. That unction or anointing teaches you all things, 1 John said. And so the stronger the anointing, the more and more fuller the flow of revelation. The quicker you know things and see things. But... Like I said, I, I didn't really know what to do with it. And I've been praying more recently about it. You know, I, I, I don't think I really did what I should have done. I actually got a little scared and just backed off. But we ought to know the Lord's not going to hurt us. Right? We ought to know He's not, you know. But you are natural. And you, just, you watch it. When some of these amazing things begin to happen, there'll be people that'll just freak. It's all fine as long as you're sitting and taking notes, but when, I mean, when something starts happening, some folk are going to go, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. Because people believe in the power of God in theory. They believe in it on paper. But when they come face to face with it and experience, they go, whoa, whoa. What is this? It's God. But I'm saying that when we experience some of these greater anointings, we need to know how to conduct ourselves. Because you can be irreverent and have some uh, negative and even some dire consequences. In Leviticus, the 10th chapter, we see individuals that mishandled the anointing. Leviticus chapter 10. The Bible says in the previous verse of the 9th chapter, they had done some things and uh, worshipped God and the glory of God appeared to all the people. They actually saw His glory. And 9.24 says, There came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, uh, they shouted and fell on their faces. Notice they didn't just stand there and go, That's me. <laughs> wow. Now, I mean, when you see some of these things, somebody says, well, I know, I know God, though. He's my Father. He and I are pals. Yeah, I know, I know. But like the psalmist said, my flesh trembleth for fear of thee. You still got flesh. 
And I assure you that God can manifest Himself in this room right now in such a way that in a split second, every nose would be buried in the carpet. Every nose. You would not be standing up by yourself going, Hi, Dad. Oh, no. Oh, no. Every nose would be in the carpet. You'd be going, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. He's not some Disney World God. He's not just a charismatic God. He's not a Baptist or a Pentecostal or Catholic God. He is Jehovah God who's always been and always will be. He's awesome. He's to be revered. There's so much in the Bible about the fear of God. And many have looked at that with a negative connotation and just kind of stayed away from the whole thing. And also, they don't understand the reverence and the honor of God because it all goes together. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about the fear of God. The fear of God. Well, the fire fell. This is amazing. I mean, the glory appeared and actual fire whooshed out, consumed the sacrifice, and the people shouted, fell on their face. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, priests, took both of them, either of them, his censer, and put fire therein. Now, there's nothing in the instructions God gave to Moses about them doing this. God never told them to do this. Not before. Not now. Why would they do this? Because, hey, we're in a fire move. The fire's falling. And a lot of people would have put up a new sign. Fire falling revival. First church of the falling fire. You know, wrote articles and got on TV. What's happening now? God's falling in fire. It's a fire move. It's a fire move. You know, God may do something one time and not do it again for a thousand years. Along some of these lines. And you better watch about trying to reproduce something. So I'm talking about the reverence of God. The reverence of God, you don't dare try to, in your own flesh, duplicate something that God did. You have too much respect and honor for what He's done to, you know, taint it with a human reproduction. If it's not there, it's not there. When the, the gifts of the Spirit are like that, you either have a word of knowledge or you don't. You can't give yourself one. You can't squint your eyes and screw up your face and go, mm, word of knowledge, word of knowledge, word of knowledge, here it comes, here it comes, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm pulling it in. No, no, no. You either have it or you don't. Now you can live certain ways that you'd be more sensitive be easier for God to deal with you, but uh, you, you don't just produce these things. They took their censers, they put fire on them, and they come stood out there and held up their strange fire. Well, that means fire God has not said anything about. This is their idea, strange fire. And the Bible said, which He commanded them not, and there went out fire, here's some more fire, from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, This is that the Lord spoke, saying, 
I will be sanctified in them that come near me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. These two guys are laying out there smoking. (laughs) This is serious. You're not supposed to be laughing. (laughs) I mean, it's funny to us now. We, We wasn't there. How many know this happened? This is not some fairy tale. This happened. Why did it happen? These men are called and anointed to stand in this place of high priest. But God did not tell them to do this. Why did they do this? What was motivating them? No, when God does something, there's always somebody that wants to jump up and get the glory for it. Always. Somebody will jump up and try to make it look like they had something to do with it. The fire fell. Well, after it happens, then what do you do? So they're standing around thinking, the fire fell. That's amazing. Now what? These guys said, well, what do we do now? We need to do something. What do we do? Let's get us some more fire. We'll put some fire on our sensors and march around. Then the fire fell again. They did not reverence, they did not respect the fire of God enough to not dabble with what they're thinking about in their little fire. There's a lack of respect, a lack of reverence, a lack of honor, and they died. You know, the writers of the New Testament assume that the reader is well versed in the Old Testament. You ever thought about that? For the most part, the writers of the New Testament assume you know the Old Testament because that was their scriptures. They knew them. And yet we have a lot of New Testament, I mean, believers today, they know something about the New Testament, but they're woefully ignorant of the Old Testament and they look at it like it's, you know, well, that's the Old Covenant. That doesn't really apply to us. But you've got to understand, God is exactly the same today as He was then. Our covenant has changed But the way he thinks, the way he is, is exactly the same. And so we need to go back. I know the Lord led me as a teenager to read the Old Testament, read the Old Testament, and I didn't know what he was doing, but he was was revealing to me his character. These guys uh, didn't revere the anointing, didn't revere the move of God, and they, they died for it. You know, Moses had a similar situation. He's the one that spoke up and said, The Lord said, I'll be sanctified in them that come near me. And yet he transgressed this very truth himself. You know, just because you know something well does not prevent you from making a mistake in that area. So, Mr. what are you talking about? Do you remember the waters of strife? I want you to go out and speak to the rock. And uh, he went out and he held up his rod and the psalmist said he was mad. If you read the psalms and other accounts, it said the people provoked his temper and his spirit. He got mad and he he stood up before all the people. He said, here now, you rebels. Bunch of rebels. We're going to have to get water out of this rock for you. And he hit the rock and he hit it again. And apparently nothing was said to him that day. But later on, the Lord said, 
you'll not go into the promised land. And he obviously he talked to the Lord numerous times about that. And finally the Lord said, don't talk to me again about it. Because you did not sanctify me before the eyes of the people concerning the waters of Meribah. You'll not go in. He didn't go in. We need to understand that God's very serious about His honor and His glory. And He says, I will not share it with another. Why would Moses say that? Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? That's all wrong. Isn't it? These guys dancing around out there with their censers, with their fire, like they had something to do with the fire falling. They died. They didn't reverence the anointing. When God tells you something, you ought to look at it closely. If you can, write it down. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. Don't change it. Be careful about putting your own interpretation on it. Reverence it. What did he say? Well, what does that mean? Sometimes you just have to say, I don't know exactly what it means, but that's what he said. People feel so free to change and add and ad-lib and expound and expand and modify. But I believe as we come into the greater anointings and the greater manifestations, that could have some negative consequences. Look at another situation. Y'all are quiet. I knew you would be. Look at Second Chronicles, the 26th chapter. Second Chronicles 26. I thought I'd just take the time to just look at a number of these. Is that alright with you? Hope it is. Second Chronicles 26. We see a king by the name of Uzziah who was a good king in a lot of ways and did a lot of good things and God gave him victory over his enemies. And in verse 16, 2 Chronicles 26, 16, it says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. You know, at the height of success and power is when uh, you're in a dangerous position. The devil will really try to work on you to tempt you. Get you thinking you're something that you're not. Get you lifted up. He transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. He's a king. He's anointed. But he is not a priest. He is not supposed to do this. This is for the priests only. And yet, he takes incense into the temple. Azariah the priest went in after him. With him, 80 priests of the Lord that were valiant men. They all rushed in. And they withstood Uzziah the king, and they said to him, It appertaineth not to thee, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. Neither shall it be for your honor from the Lord God. Now you get a clue here. The king had become more interested in his honor and glory than in God's. Uzziah was wroth. That's so often the case when people get out of their place and somebody tells them you're out of your place. 
They don't want to hear it. Because in their heart, they already know they are. And if somebody won't listen to their own heart, it's doubtful they'll listen to you. He was wroth. He had the censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, leprosy rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Azariah the chief priest, all the priests looked on him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from there. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper to the day of his death, and dwelt in a several or separate house. Being a leper, he was cut off from the house of the Lord. That's sad, isn't it? But why? What? What caused this? What, why is this in the Bible? Why would the Lord have this for us to read? What does He want us to get and know? That you ought to reverence the things of God. You don't just blare in and blurt in and intrude into offices that you're not called and pretend that you have gifts that you don't. These things are holy. We're to reverence them. We're to respect them. That's been lost largely in this generation, but it's coming back. I said it's coming back. Yes. Go with me, if you would, over to... Um, let me see where I want you to go. To uh, 1 Samuel, the 6th chapter. 1 Samuel 6, just back a few pages. In the Old Covenant, the ark was the place that the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. Right? Do you remember how particular God was with them about how these things were to be conducted? Not just open to anybody's speculation. He told them exactly how it was supposed to be, how they're to come in, how they're to go out, who and when. And thank God today in this new covenant, it's not just a few people that can go into the Holy of Holies, but all of us can it's not just a few people that can experience the anointing. All of us can. Not just a few people that has authority. All of us have authority in the name of Jesus. But I think because of that, people think, well, we all have it. We all got the same. And they've lost the honor that goes with it. Just because we all have the privilege doesn't mean we should respect it less than they did. We ought to be all the more grateful and thankful. How we ought to be humbled being Gentiles of Gentile origin, nobody's after the natural, but now allowed to serve God and come in His very presence and experience His anointing. We ought to be all the more thankful and respectful. Well, the, the ark was the place where the presence of God was, and they were supposed to handle it with a, with a certain awe and honor. And even though we're in a different covenant today, how many believe we still ought to reverence the presence of God? And treat it, with, I mean, why all these things in here? We're to learn, they're in samples. We're to learn from these precepts and principles. Well, we read the story of Eli and his two sons this morning and how that, you know, a man of God eventually came and told them that his two sons were going to die in the same day and they were going to lose the, the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant. And sure enough, the Philistines defeated the Israelites in battle. His two sons were killed on that day, and they captured and took the Ark of the Covenant. Now here is a heathen nation that has the Ark of the very presence of Jehovah. They marched around and they thought about how wonderful it was. We've, we've whooped 
the Israelites, and we whooped their God. Our God, Dagon, whooped their God. They shouted and danced in the streets, and they hauled it into Dagon's temple. Dagon, you know, was part man, part fish, a big idol they had standing up at the temple. And they took, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, and they set it down in there like it was before Dagon. See, subdued. They shouted and they danced. You know, things don't always happen in a moment. God's very patient. Sometimes people slap and spit God, spit in God's face, so to speak, and nothing happens at the moment. But they're in trouble. You know what I'm talking? There are people on the earth, they have mouthed, they have said all kind of blasphemous things, they have written books, they have done things, but I want you to know, nobody gets away with anything. Nobody. You either repent and let the blood of Jesus cover it, or you answer for it one day. Timothy talks about some things come out now, other things cannot be hid later. They will come out. There's nothing covered or hidden that shall not be revealed, Jesus said. And so they took their, the ark and they put it there. They're handling it with their hands. They put it there. It's supposed to be behind a double veil. The priests are only supposed to go in, you know, after the proper preparations and sacrifices. They came back the next day. Dagon is fell on his face. They looked in there and they thought, whoa, Dagon fell. <laughs> we better put our God back up. So they, they put him back up, you know, and they thought, I wonder what happened here. And then they kept looking at the ark. I wonder if that had anything to do. Nah, I don't think so. They went out. Next day they came back. Dagon fell hard. <laughs> His hands were broken off. <laughs> He's broken in two or three places. Then they came to the conclusion, the hand of their God is heavy on our God. I mean, just in a couple of days, they've already gotten some respect for this Jehovah God. And you remember the story how they, they didn't respect Him, but they kept shuffling the ark around, and I mean, judgment started falling and happening because they're handling the ark of the covenant. Eventually, they decided to send it home. So they did. Supernaturally, cows took it back to where it belonged. Cows own a new cart. And when this cart came to Beth Shemesh, right here in 2 Samuel 6. No, 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 no. What did I tell you? 1 Samuel 6. Yeah. 1 Samuel 6. Notice what happened. 1 Samuel, the 6th chapter. The Bible said that this ark came in the verse 19. And it said, He smote the, the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even He smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall He go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, and they said, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come down and get it. You take it up to you. Fifty thousand died that day because they decided they would take a peek. The ark is there. Let's look inside. Just curiosity. So they opened it up. 
50,000 died. Later on, you know, eventually David, King David, was going to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And they decided to build a new cart, like the Philistines did. And the word is very specific. The ark is only supposed to be carried by the priests, or the, the, the Levites and the priests, on the poles. They're not even supposed to touch it. They take the gold pole and run it through the rings. And then they take it and put it on their shoulder. And then when they get where they're going, they slide, you know, they take, take it loose and, and leave the poles and put the, the veil there. They don't even touch it, much less open it. But just in our generation today, in our society, how many people do you think could just walk right up and throw it open? Huh? We have a new covenant today, but I'm talking about that we lost that honor. Well, they came hauling it on the new cart. And Uzzah was walking beside the cart. You remember that? They're bringing it in. They're having a big party. It's not supposed to be on a cart. Now see, God will let some heathen get away with some things. He won't let his people get away with Yeah, they hauled it on an ox cart, but they're Philistines. They don't know. But they're hauling it, and the uh, oxen stumbled, and the ark shook. And Uzzah reaches up there, puts his hand on the ark to keep it from falling, and he falls dead, right there. Dead. And David stopped, and they all stopped. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, the Bible says. And he decided not to take it. But you notice later on they decided to bring it in. And how they brought it in, the priest carried it on their shoulders like the Word said. You might say, well, yeah, but Brother Keith, that's just, you know, that's all Old Testament. That's, that's Old Testament. Well, let's look at the New Testament. New Testament. Book of Acts. That's in the New Testament, isn't it? Acts chapter 5. Acts, the fifth chapter. The Bible said in the latter part of the fourth chapter that there was all kind of wonderful things going on and there was nobody among the people that lacked because everybody was selling houses and lands and bringing the proceeds and laying them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was being made. Now, you know, sometimes we don't think about that, but houses and lands are worth just as much in that economy as houses and lands in our economy. You think about somebody selling their house. Getting 100000 200000 80000 500000 whatever it is, and just taking it and just laying it down when they come to the service. And say, whoever needs something, just take this. Somebody selling 40 acres of land or 100 acres of land. Barnabas did that, and they called him, uh, you know, the son of consolation. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias... With Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, let me just stop right here. We have every reason to believe that Ananias and Sapphira were saved, tongue talkers, upstanding members in this church. And that God's moving They've seen signs and wonders by the apostles' hands. But like we were talking earlier, you can get used to anything and take it for granted. 
And in the moment you begin to seek for your own glory, you have stopped looking for God's glory. And you become indifferent to His honor and glory because you're seeking your own. They want the accolades, no doubt, like Barnabas. They, wh- why are they doing this? Uh, it's obvious they didn't, their heart wasn't really to sow the, the seed. They wanted the people to notice them and say, well, look at Ananias and Sapphira. Bless their hearts. Look what they've given. They sold their property, gave it to the church, and just go on and on about them. Peter looked at him and he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Ghost? Let me stop right here. Absolutely one of the most dishonorable things you can do, period, is to lie. Lying to men, lying to God. Because you, you are treating them like they're stupid. You're treating them like it doesn't matter whether they're deceived or not. And they're acting like the Holy Ghost doesn't know. They're acting like the Holy Ghost is not really there. Or if he is there, he's not that smart. Peter looked at him and said, How is it you come to lie to the Holy Ghost? Ananias. And I'm sure he said, Abba, Abba, uh. He said, uh, You kept back part of the price of the land. I imagine he's thinking, Who told him? unspiritual people think somebody, some other human always has to be involved. He said, while it, was, while it remained, wasn't it yours? When it was sold, it was yours? I mean, we didn't tell you to do this. Did God tell you to do this? It's yours. You've done anything you wanted to do with it. But you have not lied to men. You lied to God. Ananias heard that, gave up the ghost, his spirit left his body, fell on the floor, the young men rose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him right then. This is New Testament. This is in a church of tongue talkers. His wife Sapphira came in about three hours later. Must have took her a long time to get ready that day. This is the big day. They're going to call her up on the platform. We're going to talk about, you know, how they gave so she had on her new dress. And, you know, she's just... Three hours. Peter asked her. She walked in. He said, tell me something. Yes, yes, Brother Peter. Uh, Did you sell the land for X amount of money? She said, yeah, that's right. That's That's the exact amount. Peter said to her, how is it? You've agreed together. You know, that's the same word that you find over in Matthew concerning the prayer of agreement. These guys were together on this. You tempt the Spirit of God. You're going to stand up here and tempt the Holy Ghost. Act like He's not here. Act like He doesn't know what you're doing. Look, the feet of them that buried your husband there at the door, they're going to carry you out. She fell down straightway at His feet, yielded up the ghost. The young men came in. They just got through burying one, and they found her dead. And so they took her and buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things, and... By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. This goes hand in hand with signs and wonders. It is a sign. It is a wonder. But I notice the next phrase: great fear fell. Not, not only great fear, say it like this: great respect. 
great honor. I guarantee you, if the church needed some lumber. And one of the contractors or the sellers was thinking about cheating them. So the guy bumped him and said, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, let's give him a deal. And what do you think all the parents in the church told their little kids when they told them a lie? You standing there lying to Mama? Little Susie, little Johnny? Huh? You remember Ananias and Sapphira? Uh-huh. But have we gotten away from that? I've had, I'm sorry to say, I've had pastors, ministers, look me in the eye and lie to me. Just flat lie. I mean, I had word of knowledge working in me in their service just a few minutes before. I'm in the car with them, riding, you know, somewhere afterwards, and they look over and tell me, and the Holy Ghost says, they are lying to you. And you think, why do you do this? And the thing is, people don't think it's that big of a deal. It is a big deal. People have died over it. In the new covenant, they have died over it. God hasn't changed. You might think, yeah, but we live in a new day. That's just the same church we're a part of. Exactly the same church. And we read about these things that happen in the book of Acts and we want all these things and more, but it all goes together. We don't want to be the ones falling dead. It's not that you should be afraid of God and scared that He's going to hurt you. It's just that they act so ignorant that like the Holy Ghost is not even there. Like He wouldn't know. He knows. I said he knows. And I used to be in healing school every day with Brother Hagen. We were when we were just first year Rama students. Some of the guys that would sit with me, they liked the seats. We'd get there early and you know, every day every day, front row, for years. And he'd come, you know, and in healing school he really operated in prophetic a lot. And he'd come stand right here, you like this, you know. Talk about and teach, you know. Sometimes after the service, some of the guys say, Oh, Lord, I wonder if He saw anything in me. Oh, Lord, I don't know. And I said, Well, the thing we ought to be concerned about is what the Lord sees. If you're all right with Him, you ought to be all right with everybody else. Right? And you can, there's nothing you can hide from Him. You can go to another state. You can go out in the woods. You can go behind a tree and hide. You're going to do it. Nobody knows. And the Holy Ghost will say, What are you doing? There's nowhere you can go <laughs> where you can get away from Him. So why do people sin and do the things they do? Lack of honor for God. They don't respect Him. They don't reverence Him. I mean, people ought to be afraid to do some of the things they do. But they're not. You know, some of the biggest concerns we have about our country are, are some of the folk that will stand up blatantly and announce their sin. Blatantly. Man, people have died on the spot for that kind of thing. And yet people, you know, that like, oh, you know, and even try to say God condones their sin. Man, it makes me cringe when I hear that. I think, oh, you better quit. You better do some repenting like right away. You know, you see more of this. Let me give you just another couple of these before we, we change gears here, close up. You see just... You know, very, very soon after this, 
in the 12th chapter. Let's go right on over there. In the 12th chapter, you know, Herod killed James, the brother of John. He's going to kill Peter. But the church prayed for him. Now keep that in mind. The church prayed for him without ceasing. wonder what they prayed. I'm sure they prayed for his deliverance, but they probably also prayed about Herod. Right? Because he's, he's one of the major problems here. And later on in the chapter, the Bible said, verse 20, Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Zidon. Acts 12, 20. They came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. Upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration to them, and the people gave a shout, and they said, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms, and gave up the ghost, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And those people think people get away with all kind of blasphemy, but as the glory of God increases in the earth, we're going to see things like this. If people will harden themselves and won't repent and will harm and hurt the church of God, God has to take care of His own. Judgment will fall on them. It won't be God's fault. It's their fault. You see Paul operating in an anointing along these lines in the 13th chapter, just a few verses over. When they came... In this 13th chapter, in the 6th verse, they came to the Isle of Paphos. And they found this certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew named Bar-Jesus. He was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus. They called for Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. Elamus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And he said, oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is on you, you'll be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. This is the Holy Ghost too, isn't it? This is the, God is merciful. Thank God for His mercy. Isn't He? Jesus taught these kind of things. You know, when, when they were reviling Him and saying, you know, He's casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. That's how He does it. That's why He can deal with devils, because He's doing it by the prince of the devils. He's got a devil. Jesus looked at them and He warned them. He said, you can say things against Me, you can say things against God, it'll be forgiven you. But you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost and it won't be forgiven you. Not now, not later. And it said, because they said He has an unclean spirit. What? What does blaspheme mean? It means to speak derogatorily of. It means to run down. To, to harm. And see, they, here's the Holy Ghost moving and doing things, and they said, it's a devil. You calling the Holy Ghost a devil? 
How does God see that? How does he view that? Jesus expressed exactly how God sees it. In other words, don't you dare. God's merciful. Very merciful. How many denominational people have stood up and said, all that speaking with tongues of the devil. If they hadn't have been so ignorant and such babies, folk would have been judged right and left. Because that's exactly what they did to him. They said what was of the Holy Ghost was of the devil. It's wise, even if you don't know if something's right or not, just don't say. Right? Have some respect. Even if it's a chance it might be God. You're not sure. You just don't you don't want to say anything disparagingly against the Lord, against his words, against his things. Isn't it amazing in our society how people have no qualms about getting on national TV and tearing apart God's ministers? Sure, they're human. No doubt they've made mistakes. They may have done some things. People, some people may have done some things they shouldn't have done. But man, even you know when Saul was persecuting David and he was anointed, you know, now David's been anointed to be the king. While he's trying to kill him, David wouldn't harm him, and he calls him the Lord's anointed. And here he's acting, he's a demon-possessed man. Remember Elisha when he came out one day and some youths came along behind him and they scurned and they said, Go up, you bald head, you old bald head, go up. Yeah, you're going on up to the town, you old bald head, you old bald head. The Bible said he turned around and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Or by the Lord. That word, now, it's interesting. I didn't know this. That word curse literally means to make light of. Like we're talking about. To disesteem. Because that's what they were doing to him. I had no idea that word meant that. But that's exactly what we're talking about. Those that honor me, I will honor. Those that despise me, they're despising him. Go up, you old bald head. Go on up. And he turned around and cursed them. The word means lightly esteemed despised, and a, a female bear came out of the woods, killed 42 of them. They died because of their disrespect and their arrogance toward the man of God. When I see even unsaved people get on some of these programs and lambast God's anointed, I don't care if they did do wrong. If somebody did do wrong, they're God's anointed. Right? And you see some of these folk go on and put... I mean, who are they? To, I mean, what kind of life are they living? What are they doing? I cringe for them. I think, man, I wouldn't do what you're doing for large amounts of money. Because I fear the Lord in a positive way. I know He's not going to hurt me, but I reverence Him. I respect Him. And I don't want to do something to dishonor Him or to displease Him. If something is something of His... I want to value it. I want to treasure it. If it's one of His people, I ought to treat them like gold. Amen? Yeah. It's one of His special called, special anointed people. Man, care what they do. Don't touch them. He's well able to deal with any of His. Right? They need some reproof and correction. He knows how to do it. I'm not going to... That's what David knew. About, he knew Saul's messed up. But he said, He's the Lord's anointed. He may fall in battle, the Lord will judge him, but my hand's not going to touch him. Touch not his anointing. Well, I don't want to go longer, but we went through these things, and I know, you know, sometimes people don't like to hear this kind of thing, but we need all kinds of 
messages. All kinds of, of teaching. We need both sides of it. When I want to, before this is over, some of my favorite things to talk about, before this is over, I want to give you some examples of honor. Honoring God, biblical. Honoring God, honoring the... I mean, I, I'd get tears in my eyes over this now. I mean, this is heavy-duty God stuff. But, you know, sometimes you need this before the other. So, I, I just want us to be stirred up to reverence God and to respect God. And notice how He's always been in the past. And notice that His things are just as holy. Even though we have greater privileges, we have greater access to God, all of us do, than they did, we still, because of our greater privilege, should not respect Him less. Should not honor Him less. There's no reason or cause for that. Is it? Yes, feel free. Yes, worship God. Yes, know Him as your Father. But at the same time, know when to bow your knee and your head. Right? And know when to lift up your hands. And know when to shut your mouth. And be quiet and listen. Know when to reverence and when to respect. Can you say amen? amen? Let me pray over you. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us tonight. And I don't know if we got this out just exactly like we should or not. But Lord, help us. I pray this is not something that a man can do. This is not something that you can do with your mind. But give us a heart to know you and to honor you. Give us a heart to reverence You and to revere You and to respect You. And oh Lord, keep us back from ever doing things like we read about tonight. You gave us these things to warn us and to caution us so that we don't do these like things. And Lord, we pray, keep us back from it. If we ever would begin to say or do something irreverent or irrespectful uh, like this, check us, cause us to see it, cause us to know it, and we'll stop in mid-sentence. We'll repent. We'll stop. And Lord, teach us more about honoring You and reverencing You because there's none so worthy as You, none so holy as You, none who ought to be praised, ought to be revered, ought to be worshipped like You. Thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.